going to invite you to turn in your, your uh, Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to get to that passage in just a moment. But I've got to ask a really important question. Are there any Philadelphia Eagles fans here today? One person. That's fantastic. Yes. Now, a couple of, are there New England Patriots fans here? One person as well. At least you admit it here in the Colts country. How many of you were happy that the Patriots lost in the Super Bowl? Okay. Sorry. Jesus still loves you, uh, but not quite as much. And uh, just joking. You know, uh, it's nothing harder. I was a Notre Dame fighting Irish fan in USC country for seven years. So you Patriots fans, I feel for you, man. Uh, But I wanted to uh, share with you that I was watching the Super Bowl, and I think probably one of the most confident plays in NFL or perhaps in sports history happened right before the halftime. And as we kick off this new teaching series, MVPs of the OT, we're really playing off of a sports theme as we study these Old Testament characters. And I was realizing that this play that happened at the halftime, they're at fourth and and goal on the one yard line, seconds left in the half. If they fail in the conversion, instead of kicking the field goal, they turn the ball over and they end, Philadelphia ends up scoring what would become eventually the winning touchdown. And Nick Foles, the backup quarterback, makes the call when he goes over to his coach to run the Philly special, a trick play that they had been practicing. Maybe you missed it. It's 20 seconds long. Let's watch Nick Foles' version of it. You want uh, Philly right here. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Philly special. Ready? Here we go. Here we go. Tonight. Easy, easy! Kill, kill! Lane, Lane! Let's go! Let's go! <laughs> oh, yeah. Love it, man. I mean, who would have thought that that would make the difference? What a confident play call to make. Uh, now, I know you know who Tony Dunchy is, uh, former Indianapolis Colts coach. He actually said a comment that I don't think was controversial that was made to be somewhat controversial when he said on air that Nick Foles had the confidence in that moment to make the play because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. And I just want to say, I don't think that God really cares about a football game or about the Super Bowl or that the Eagles won because their coach prays more than Bill Belichick or that... or. I, or, or that, uh, you know, that God really likes the Eagles better or the Eagles players because they're Christians. Or, you know, that's the reason that they won. I love that they shared that platform and used it for kingdom purposes. But I do believe what uh, Tony Dungy said to be true. And it's interesting it happened right now and what we are going to study in Genesis 22. Because I believe that uh, a relationship with Jesus does give you confidence to face adversity in life. And, and what I mean by that is it's not that, again, God loves the Eagles more than the Patriots by any means or cares about the football game, but that whatever you're facing, you, you probably be going through more adversity than just a sporting event. Some of you have lost loved ones. You've had difficulty in your romantic relationships, difficulty there. You've had difficulty with your children or with your parents, and you've had addictive habits. You've had things that are real adversity in your life. And what I believe is that a relationship with Jesus isn't going to make those things easy or make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. We 
Christians on TV lie to people about that. But it does mean that you can be confident in the most adverse situation. Nick Foles can do that because he knows his identity is not found in whether or not he wins the Super Bowl. Right? His identity is found in his relationship with Jesus. And if they didn't win and they didn't make that play, he was going to be okay. In fact, he actually said that his goal in life, his dream job wasn't to be the MVP of the Super Bowl, which he was, but to be a pastor. I think he needs to set his aspirations a little higher, but I found it interesting that that was what he truly valued in life. And so the question I want to ask you, and I'm not just asking this to, maybe you're here and you're an atheist or you're an agnostic, you're watching this online and you have real doubts that you need to walk through. I think that's okay. Or maybe you're here and you've been a Christian for decades. You've come to this kind of dry point in your faith and you've gone through some real struggles. And the older you get, the more struggles you've had. You've had friends and loved ones pass. People get cancer and have doubts about as you pray, God doesn't answer the prayers the way you want him to. How we live in those adverse times can often be the defining moments of our lives. So I ask you this question, how confident are you in God? How confident are you in God? How confident are we that what the scriptures teach is actually true? That, that Jesus gave his life, was crucified, rose from the third grave, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and one day will return to put the world right. That those who confess Jesus with our lips, according to Romans 10, 9, and that believe and receive the grace of Jesus, repent of our mistakes, that we will have a relationship with the almighty, perfect God. That we can live with him eternally in heaven and experience him in our life now, that we're not alone. How confident are we in that? How confident are you while you're facing difficult times and you have questions about why God's doing what he's doing in your life? How confident are you that he knows better than you do? Those are the tough things of life, aren't they? And it's those very things that I believe are addressed in Genesis 22 through the story of Abraham. You guys ready to study God's word, church? Oh, come on now. Here we go. Beginning in verse 2, it's talking about Father Abe, and it says this. Then God said, take your son, your only son, that you waited 100 years for. By the way, foreshadowing Jesus, the only son of the heavenly father that we'll be talking about the last week of this series. He says, take your son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Sacrifice your beloved son that God had told you would give you as many descendants as the sands on the seashore, as many stars in the sky, that God's promises were through the son, and he's now telling him to sacrifice. Anybody a little confused by God sometimes in your life? I got to imagine Abraham is experiencing an extreme version of that you and I can't even understand. It goes on and it says, verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded up his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, again important, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and they will come back to you. God tells him to do this horrific thing. And rather than just going, I'm not doing that, God, forget that. You know, you've got lost. You've lost your way, God. Let me take control of my life. Let me fix these things. You promised me these things. I deserve these things. He instead does what God's asked and then pause to worship him in the most difficult season of his life. I think worshiping God in the hard times is more important than in the good times even. 
See what happens next in verse 5. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go and worship him. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Can you picture it? I know it's a Bible story, but it actually happened. Placing his son on the altar. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, I got a nine-year-old son, I just can't picture this. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Could you imagine this, dads? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. I don't know about you, but that's some confident faith. That is some confident faith. By the way, God's provision through Isaac to be as many descendants as the sand on the seashore by the end of Genesis 22, that provision will occur because of the obedience Abraham demonstrates in here. That this is actually the answer to the promise, not the exclusion of it. It goes on and says in verse 9, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now, you may be a Christian long enough, you know the remainder of the story, and if we have time, we'll read most of those verses. It describes that God's going to provide a ram in the thicket next to them, and he won't sacrifice his son, and that because of his great faith, God will bless Abraham for generations upon generations, not just with like financial wealth. We mistake the blessings often in the Old and New Testament, because we watch people on TV that think that blessing is only if I fly a $65 million jet around or not, and we've totally misinterpreted what Scripture talks about. The blessings that he will have here is the relationship that he has with God as he experiences his power and his presence in his life and the relationships he has with his his kids and his grandkids like like those are the things that are the most valuable in life those blessings he experiences here and what i'd like to share with you in our short time together the big idea is that abraham's confident faith leads to his big blessing abraham's confident faith leads to the big blessing more importantly by him actually trusting, that, believing that God's presence was the power to face the adversity in his life. Let me say that again. That God's presence is the power for you and I to face the adversity in our life, to have confidence in whatever we're facing, because we know that our great provider is going to take care of us, even if it's not the way that we planned. That's what will be life-changing. That's what we got written down in Scripture. And thousands of years later, we're studying because of the great faith of Abraham. And I'll just make two uh, quick things here, one now and then one after an interview in a moment. Abraham is willing to give up his only son. Abraham is willing to give up his only son, the most difficult part of this. And it confirms in Hebrews 11 in the New Testament that it was because of Abraham's faith and who God was, who God's character was, that he was willing to do this. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. It was Abraham's innate trust and faith in God and his character and this belief that the supernatural God that created the universe in six days and took the seventh day just to rest, that he would take care of him, that he was the one who had given him the son in the first place. 
and that he should trust him and be obedient even when he doesn't understand God sometimes. I don't know about you, I want that kind of faith. And I think in our American suburban culture, the reason we see apathy in our churches and in, and in Christians' lives is often because we're not willing to sacrifice. I don't know what your one and only son is in your life. I don't know what it is, the most important thing in your world is. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your weekends. Maybe it's your romantic life. Maybe it's your kids' sporting events. I don't know what it is. But if God called you to turn that over to him, would you? I think the way we respond to that question determines how much we see God show up. It's because of that question, a lack of that, that we don't trust him in our dating life. We don't trust him with the first 10% of our resources and believe he'll do more with 90% than we could with 100. It's the reason we don't go to him when our marriages, when we have difficulties and we, we cut him out because we're like, we're going to fix it. We're going to take control rather than inviting him in. It's why we don't see more people leaving everything behind and going around the globe as missionaries to tell more people about Jesus Christ and to help people in need. It's why we don't see more people doing what Rich and all of our outpost leaders are doing, saying, I'm going to do anything to sacrifice to make an impact here in our local community. Everything cool that has ever happened at our church happened because God showed up and because of faithful people, not people on the stage, but faithful people in everyday life actually believed in God's story and power enough that they went and lived it out and took the risk and expected God to show up. That is what I would desire for us as a church. Now, as a part of this teaching series, every week we got a sports theme. This week is baseball, and we get a special privilege. It's been a lot of fun this whole weekend. We have 2013 Major League Baseball All-Star, MLB All-Star, Justin Masterson with us. Will you welcome him up here as he comes to the stage? But I'll be honest, this, this has been a lot of fun. Dude, thanks for doing this again, man. Once again, bringing up the average height by about a foot up here on the stage. Now, if you uh, don't know Justin, I don't know how you couldn't. He was a 12-year uh, professional baseball player, drafted by the Boston Red Sox, played eight years in the major leagues, played six seasons with the Cleveland Indians. This has been fun for me because I've known uh, Church Justin, and through Wikipedia and Google this week, I've gotten to know Baseball Justin. So kind of a big deal, man. Um, and I just got to show this. Like, to give you an idea of what a prolific uh, baseball player he was, and he doesn't want me to say this stuff, but I, I found a lot of stuff out. Like, uh, I'm going to show a video here where Justin in the game threw 27 straight strikes. 27 straight strikes. It was so long we had to speed it up because it would take too long. You, you were one of 68 people to ever strike out four people in one inning. That guy's amazing up there. <laughs> me, not so much. He's, he's that guy, cool. yeah. But how do you strike out four people in one inning? Uh, well, you get really wild with your pitch, and the guy happens to swing at it, and it goes to the backstop, and so then the guy gets to go to first base, and then I get to slice and dice the next guy. So that's <laughs> <laughs> well, then get this. So I, I found this out, too, that fewer people have done this than have thrown no hitters in baseball. He actually is one uh, that has an immaculate inning uh, where he struck out the entire side in nine pitches. The wow. perfect inning. Uh, and, and you did that against your former team, the Red Sox, right? I did, yeah. I started with the Red Sox, did it when I got with Cleveland. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it's been fun for me to learn all this stuff. And then I found out uh, this last service, you reminded me that you're the first person since Babe Ruth to win your first four, four, four starts with the Red Sox. 
Yeah. That's pretty cool. You're included in a category with Babe Ruth. <laughs> Anybody else in the category with Babe Ruth out no. there? And no one else cares. Yeah. So <laughs> I know. Well, but here's the thing, man. I know we're gonna get to the spiritual stuff in a moment, but I, I will, let's talk about what I really want to know about, which is your celebrity status. So tell us a little bit. Like, I've been playing for the Red Sox. You were in the locker room with like Mariano, or excuse me, uh, David Ortiz and uh, Manny Ramirez, and yeah, yeah. all kinds of yeah, people. Yeah, got to see him naked. <laughs> shower with them. All types of stuff. <laughs> You want the dirt? Oh, there you go. <laughs> Going out live online right now through the power of the internet. Uh, I love it. it, it you've, you've had some celebrities I know that you've got to encounter as being a professional baseball player. Just share at least a couple of those stories. Yeah, yeah. I love this. Well, a cool one is, is a fellow countryman of mine, which if you didn't know, uh, I was born in Jamaica, so I am Jamaican. Don't let my facade fool you. Uh, <laughs> there are a few white ones out there. And so uh, Usain Bolt was coming to Fenway Park in order to throw out the first pitch back in 2008. So he had just, I mean, fastest man in the world, doing his thing at the Olympics. So he gets to come as celebrity and, and come throw out the first pitch. So they thought it would be cool to have Jamaican catch a Jamaican. So I go out there and, you know, get behind home plate. You ever been to a baseball game? You know that you've seen people throw out first pitches, famous people, whatever. So he goes out to the mound, and he's, like, doing his, you know, lightning bolt thing and getting the crowd going. And they're like, ah. And I'm, like, still squatting back there just waiting for him. And so then he looks into me, and he, like, shakes. I'm like, I'm not even giving a sign. I just throw the pitch. It's like, nope. Okay. <laughs> you know, then he throws it, and after he throws it, spins around, does his little bolt thing. And so what's customary afterwards is you get together with the guy who just threw it, you sign his ball, and then you get a picture. Well, I didn't sign his ball because he's way more famous than me, so I wasn't going to deal with that. Uh, but we go for a picture, and, you know, the lady who takes the picture says, hey, Usain, isn't it cool that you got, you know, your first pitch caught by a fellow Jamaican? <laughs> and he just walked away. <laughs> Got the cold shoulder from Usain Bolt. Yeah. And you were telling me about a country artist that you actually ran into one time and you confused him for a child. I did, Is that yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in Fenway, same thing. You, you go from the clubhouse down to the dugout. So you go this little hallway and then up the stairs in the dugout. And so while I'm going down in the little hallway, the national anthem's going, so stop, you know, take my hat off. And on the stairs, I see, you know, a couple people, but one on the back. I'm like, what in the world? It's like this, this little guy, you know, just, just a little smaller than Josh. And, and he's, he's got little, you know, you know the, I don't know, it's just really tiny legs. And the, the pants are kind of drooping down like he's got no booty back there. And he's got, you know, the hat on backwards, but it's kind of like the, like the little backward kid things. And... And I was like, what in the world? Like, who let their kid? The game's about to start. Like, you know, we don't need to have kids around here. And then the National Anthem gets done. And then over the loudspeaker, it's now throwing out the first pitch, Kenny Chesney. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Kenny, if you're watching online, I think you're fully sized. So I'd love to <laughs> hang out anytime. Uh, I love this story. Thanks for sharing. Let me live vicariously through you. But of course. <laughs> I, we do have the more important questions, you know. You've done that. You, you've you've hung out with those people and that kind of a life that I can't imagine. You've pitched in the playoffs in front of you know tens of thousands of people, millions of people watching online and through social media, and the pressure that comes with that. Like, how are you able to face that kind of adversity and have that kind of confidence in those spaces? Well, for me, I, I think about just being up here is almost more pressure or whatnot, doing some, some kingdom talking, you know, rather than playing a game of baseball in, in front of a bunch of people and making a fool of myself. But, uh, 
But honestly, since I was a little kid is when, when God just wrapped his arms around me. You know, he just, he found me, pulled me away and, and just let me see how great he was. And from that point on, I've just been locking arms with him. Not, not perfectly by any means, uh, but just trying to stay true and be with him and let everything that I do kind of surround a little bit of that. And so because of that, it kind of leads to, as I started playing sports and people understand that you love Jesus, well, then they start making fun of you uh, because they're like, oh, you love Jesus, you know, that means you're soft and, you know, you don't know how to play hard enough and it's just all love and rainbows in your world. And so I just look at him and be like, do you know the God that I'm talking about? Like, have you taken the time to, to look and actually understand about this? This guy who sent down his only son who died on the cross, rose again to show life over death and and, and I'm supposed to be weak from that? Like, that's not the most powerful individual that you've ever seen. The man who created this universe and everything in it, every single one of us knows the hairs on our head. And you, you think that makes me weak? I said, uh, you know, a man in Jesus who was so powerful of an individual that he let people take him. He didn't, he didn't like, oh, they're trying to get me. And, you know, he let them take him. And that's more powerful than if you get subdued. And so when I tell them that, I said, my confidence comes from believing in that man. So I can go out there and I can work harder. I can be better. And I can go out there and be the best because I'm not concerned about what you think. No offense. Because I'm here for God. And he's blessed me with this. So I'm going to give it all I got. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But it's not because God's not working in it. And that's my confidence. I love that, man. I love that. But let's be honest here for a second. Okay, that's why you have confidence to do the things that you did in your career. But, I mean, we're looking at Abraham today, willing to sacrifice his only son and live a difficult life. I mean, you're a professional baseball player. How much adversity have you really faced, right? That's all just cream Bentleys, so you don't really understand, <laughs> that's right. like, real-life adversity. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Talk about that. Well, where, where, do you, where do you want me to start? I mean, you start as a kid, uh, you know, Early on in life where people told, you know, a teacher said to my mom, hey, uh, maybe Justin needs to get new friends because he may not feel smart enough by being around them because his buddies are too smart. So he might, you know, think he's too dumb and would have to go into depression or something like that. You know, or you go like seventh grade getting called fat and smelly. Uh, or much elementary school when I got these orange tickets and I didn't realize what they were going to school. Uh, But, uh, you know, I found out that it was we got free lunches because we were, you know, for America, below the poverty line, you know, as my dad is a pastor, just trying to trying to make life and do through it. Uh, so yeah, so you have these on the front end, and and then you go, okay, what's what's more adversity? Oh, you're you're gifted. You're playing Major League Baseball without a doubt, and have had so much fun. But in the best season of my career, 2013, playing with the Indians, my All Star season, as as Josh so mentioned, uh, yeah. end of it, I tear my oblique, you know, tear my oblique off of my 11th rib. Uh, which is the floating rib back there. And so I was out three weeks, came back, pitched okay. But then from that point on, you know, the just go, you know, I became that guy, you know, if you're watching sports and, you know, on your favorite team, that guy who once was good and now he's not, and you're just sitting there going, what's this guy still doing on the team? Get him out of here. Ship him somewhere else. Ship him to the Yankees so they can stink. You know, or something, <laughs> something like that in the baseball world. And so we're dealing with this, and then, then I go get surgery, and so the pain that comes from that, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to start rehabbing. So we go to Bradenton, Florida with the Pirates, and I'm rehabbing down there, and 
in the midst of all this, my wife comes to visit with our oldest daughter, and she spoke about this before, but then you know, it comes out that she has a near-death experience. Unlike the second to last day that they're, they're going to be with me, uh, she, from her eating disorder stuff that was going on, literally about died. You know, she had these heart palpitations so much to tell my daughter, like, hey, if mommy doesn't wake up, go knock on the door of somebody. And so here I am in the midst of this journey of this, trying to make it work in baseball, and God's blessed it and all this, and, and yet... Even with all that craziness that's gone on and dealing with all that adversity, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for, for all the riches in the world. Wow. <laughs> I mean, did you, did you catch all of that, that in one moment he went from an all-star to being injured to trying to rehabilitate and then finding out? His wife, Meryl, has shared about a year and a half ago from the stage, so this is, is public knowledge, that she suffered from an eating disorder, and, and that, that was the same time where she almost literally died because of it. You're facing all of that. That had been so hard for, for you individually, for you as a married couple, for your, your family. And, you know, I guess what would you say? It's hard to see the blessings that come out of that. But what kind of blessings have, have come out of that season and that adversity? Well, I, I mean, I, through it all, it's just, it's just been incredible. I, and, you know, nothing like Abraham and, and asking to take the son away. But... Just the, the, the blessing of the family coming together. I mean, the incredible growth that we've seen that, that wouldn't have come if things were just easy and handed to us or whatnot. And, you know, these blessings that we think we want to see in, in God, that this healthy, wealthy, and wise, you know, and, and all that different stuff. And yet, you know, in the midst, and, and we have plenty of money that we were making at the time, and yet there was no satisfaction, you know, within that until all this adversity took place with that and then we were able to to grow together i mean what what better blessing you know my wife and i have talked about it that uh as we've come through this past our marriage has incredibly grown because we believe that as two people in a marriage continually grow towards christ they grow towards each other and I mean, I wouldn't sacrifice that blessing for any riches that I could get in the game of baseball or anything like that. And it's not, it's not been easy. It's not always beautiful. But when we're able to see that the glass is half full instead of half empty, it's such a difference to what's going on in our lives. And so even sometimes what can be seen as maybe negative turns out to be such an incredible blessing. Wow, that's powerful, man. And I mean, let's give a detail on that because... I mean, it didn't come, even now, it doesn't come without sacrifice. Like, you were rehabilitated, you finally got to a place, and, and you got some phone calls from some teams this year. It, talk about that for, for just a moment. Yeah. You so know, what happened? So rehab. So talk about rehabbing. You know, we got better in this last year. Put myself in a position. I was playing AAA for the Dodgers. Put myself in a position to make a big league team again. Show that I was healthy, that things were going well. And so got some, some offers this year uh, to, to go compete and be. I mean, shoot, I've been working since I was a young kid to play this game of baseball and given a lot of my hours devoted to this, excuse me, go through rehab and get better. So I deserve, in my, you know, it's understandable, I deserve this opportunity yeah. to try and play again. You had to go out there and do it. Just like I, I think about Abraham and his son. He waited 100 years to have him. So it's like amazing that Abraham be like, I deserve to have this son. So I'm going to, like, what are you calling me to do? And so yet in the midst of this, I'm not saying I'm anywhere near Abraham, but the fact that in this time, I've looked at those offers and said, no. I said, I appreciate it. Yes, it would be nice to have a few extra million dollars in the pocketbook. <laughs> 
but it just goes, what, what does that gain to potentially lose, lose my family, lose credibility, and all those different things just, just to gain some notoriety, to prove to myself that I can do it again, to show the, the haters out there who's like, Justin Masterson's a bum, that he's great again? No, God's just saying, you can take a step back, thrust me up, and let them know what made you great anyways. Because from the beginning, you know, my major league career, (laughs) but from my major league career, I would say, oh, I was so great, and that's how I got into the big leagues. Now, there was some talent there, but the way I made my debut was Daisuke Matsuzaka got the flu. So it was just random occurrence. He gets the flu. It just happens that I'm the closest guy. I was in Portland, Maine, so I was an hour and a half a drive down to Boston to get down to there. So it wasn't like, wow, Justin's great. They even said, well, we don't think he's ready, but he's the only one available. Well, thanks for the confidence, guys. I appreciate it. And, and so that, that was where I started, and that's where it began. So why wouldn't I, as I'm working through it and getting at the tail end of it, say, God, you've been in control this whole time. Why would I start doubting you now? Because I, I think I can do it better, not a chance. So I'm going to open it up and say, God, continue. Continue to lead me. So last question, man, I love that. What, what, if for somebody that's here right now and going through the, an adverse time, a difficult time, what would you encourage them with or challenge them in? Yeah, I would, I would say so. A radio guy, he asked me one time in the midst of my career, he's a Christian radio guy, he says, so Justin, because you love Jesus, you know, everything in your career happens a little bit better. I said, hey, man, did you see my last outing when I gave up that grand slam or like three outings ago when I gave up seven runs and was out of the game in the you know, second or third inning? I said, no, 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 no. I said, physically, no, that's not God working here or there. You know, as Josh kind of talked about, doesn't love one team better than the other. I said, but what I do have is a hope in Jesus Christ that no matter what happens, he's got my back. Yeah. And so if you're dealing with the adversity that we're, we're going to have, because if we're not having adversity, we're not growing. And if we're not growing, we're dying. And I know that I want to be growing. I don't want to be dying. But I always rest in this verse, John 16, 33. And Jesus just got finished talking to his disciples. And then he goes in and says at the tail end of this, you know, all great stuff. And at the tail end, he's like, in this life, you will face many trials and sorrows. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And I look at that and go, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. And yet he's sitting there, I got this. I've, I've already overcome the world, and you don't even know it yet. Mm-hmm. So back to my confidence in a man like this, and to be able to move when you're going through adversity, and to think of someone that, that has so much confidence and audacity to say that I got this, don't worry, you don't have to do it, I will do it for you. And though it may not always feel like you know, love and rainbows you know, in the midst of what you're doing, you know, God is there and he will guide you through it. And it's, I mean, that's, that's been the incredible bit of my journey that's only really just beginning, in a sense, as we move on to whatever the next season God has. Isn't this awesome? Can we thank Justin for being up here? <laughs> Love it, man. Thank you, thank you. Excited to see what God's going to do with Justin next. We should get him a part of the teaching team, don't you think? That'd be fun. Uh, I'm hoping to. In fact, uh, last thing I want to close with is we look at that, and he shared his example of that. Baseball was kind of the thing in his season right now that he's having to kind of offer up to God. He spent his whole life doing it. What in your life right now do you need to offer up to God so that you can fully experience his best in your life? It was only because of Abraham's obedient faith in this passage that he will experience God's blessing in his life. And again, we're not talking about financial blessing. 
that he experiences God at work and the fulfillment of the promises and the calling on his life because of his willingness to be obedient when it was hard, not just when it was easy. As we close out our time together, I want to read some of these verses from Genesis 22, beginning in verse 11. Maybe some of you need to hear this. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Some of you came here today or are watching online and you need to hear the God that is with us calling out to you by name, desiring to fulfill the promises and the calling he's made in your life. And what we do, how we're obedient in the small things often determines those greater things. Relishing in the power of his presence with us, most importantly, will change the future of your life. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said in verse 12. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed as a burnt offering. Verse 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountainside of the Lord, it will be provided. His descendants, it'll go on to say the great blessing God will give to him and all of the children and the grandchildren, the great grandchildren and and beyond. And that a whole nation will rise up because of that. All of it hinged on this one moment in time of whether or not he would allow God into the difficult, the confusing, the pain and the doubt and the hard times. If you're going through one of those times now and it's time to surrender that over to him, it's not easy, I know. You guys know our story. We lost a son and this church in some ways was begun through hardship and losing of a child and people coming to faith through it. I wonder what God could do with the adversity in the room right now if we surrendered that to him and that he would return it with the blessing of a right relationship with him and strong relationships with others and meaning and purpose in this life. The choices we make and the obedience we show determines whether or not we experience God more and his blessing in our life. Will you pray with me? God, I'm just going to be honest. It's an honest moment right now. There's some of us in the room that we have something in our life right now, our only son, so to speak. The thing that we value, maybe even value it more than our relationship with you. That we just need to surrender it to you. If that's you, just admit it. Just not out loud, just right now, just the quietness of this moment, admit it to him. God, for some of us in the room, that might be our addiction, might be drugs or alcohol, it might be food, it might be our dating life, it might be our finances, it might be our workplace, it it might be whether or not we have the, the things that we always envisioned for our life. But God, in this moment, For those of us who are Christians here with us in the room or watching online, we surrender all of those things to you. We will not make them idols in our life. We worship you and you alone as Abraham did even when it was difficult. And then for some in the room right now, when we talk about having confidence and faith in Jesus Christ and knowing where you'll spend eternity, that we're not confident The scriptures teach that we can be. If we confess him as Lord, we receive his grave, we confess our sin, that God can redeem us and we can live with him eternally. 
and experience the life he intended for us on this planet. If that's you, would you like to surrender your life fully to Jesus Christ? He knows you and he calls you by name home to him. Pray this with me silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I need you. I surrender my life to you. I give you everything, God, and ask for forgiveness for my mistakes. And I believe in your resurrection. May I have eternal life. I confess you as Lord right now with my lips. For those that just prayed that prayer right now, I'm going to invite you to, if you're at home right now, I want you just to raise your hand. If you're here in the room, I want you to raise your hand for just a moment. And I want to pray with you. I see the young man down here. appreciate that. I see the, the gentleman right here in the center over here. And the, the, the two of you, wow, the two of you over here to my left. And I don't want to miss somebody. I see, I see you. And I, I see those five people. I don't know what's going on or the person over here to my right. And I don't know whether that's the first time or a recommitment of your faith. And, and God, you know what's truly going on in those six people that I saw. If I missed anybody, I apologize, God. But they have prayed that prayer. I pray it would be more than a prayer, but the beginning of a new life with you that you would connect them with other Christians to begin to live out their purpose and calling that you've instilled into their minds and their souls. God, that they're sleeping giants of the faith awakening right now. May you use them, God. We believe and receive your grace and mercy, and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.